I recently sat down with Janet Lewis to talk about her new book, Lost and Found. It's subtitled, How to Find Yourself, Take Charge of Your Life, and Unleash Your Inner Power. As well as being an author, Janet is also the CEO and founder of Dunamis OCM Incorporated, a change management consulting firm based here in Toronto. Listen in as she discusses the birth of her book and the rebirth of herself as she wrote it. I think you're all going to enjoy this. Ever ask you how long it actually took you to write this book and how long has it been coming and, and, and where did it all kind of start from? Can you, mm-hmm. can you talk to that? Yeah, so... I've always wanted to write a book or books. So I've, I, I literally started putting pen to paper for this particular book in, I'm going to say September of 2019. September 2019, because in 2019, I took some time off to find myself. <laughs> and so I, I attended a book writing workshop. So that's when the actual, the game started. And I was supposed to launch in December of 2019. And something happened, life happened. And in 2020, when COVID happened, literally the same month in February when COVID happened, I started walking because the first thing I realized that, oh my gosh, something is coming and I need to not get complacent or I need to not get boggled down with whatever it is that was coming. At that time, I didn't know how big it was, but I felt something was coming. So I started going on these nature walks um, in February of 2020. And, um, I think it was on my third or fourth day. I just heard you have to publish your book. You have to publish the book. And so by December, I think I was maybe 50% completed in the terms that I had the title, I had the book cover, maybe a few paragraphs written. So between February and April was when I wrote the bulk of the book in the middle of the pandemic. And I really felt like I wrote on my on LinkedIn, I felt the winds of change and the winds of the pandemic just propelling me to write the book. And uh, if you've read the book, you'll notice that I talk about this river a lot in the book because a lot of the walk, I passed by this river and I would literally hear the river calling me. And it was such an inspiration for me because I felt compelled to write a chapter a day at least like I, every time I passed by the river, it would be like, did you write the chapter yet? Or like, it spoke to me, like it was like my, my checkpoint or my, my accountability stick or something to get me to, uh, to publish the book. That is so amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't do it every day, but I, every Saturday, I, my wife and I go on a nature trail walk. We go on a big hike for two hours and we walk by a river. That's how crazy that, like it takes us through trees and it takes, and I've got to say, there's something, there's something really resolute and really safe about it. I don't know what it is. I just feel, I just feel like, in fact, I was thinking the other day as I was walking this trail, I was saying, if I only looked down and only saw the snow, 
it's as almost as if I'm going into a blizzard and mm -hmm. I don't realize where I am until I actually look up. Mm -hmm. Right. What was the, I, I, I know you got this feeling. What was the, what was the real pull on you? Like, like what, was it the river or, you know, was it, I mean, what were you search? Were you searching for something? What, what was happening? The, the river was, was kind of the inspiration and the motivation to continue. But to your point, the pull was the need to share, number one, because I started on a, on a path maybe four years ago to find myself. I didn't even know I was lost, to be honest. In fact, the title of the book came out of nowhere. Like, I can't remember what the previous titles were, but that was not my original title. And I remember when I landed on the first title, I can't remember, I have to go to my notes, but there was something missing and I kept struggling. I kept saying, I need the right title. And I was, uh, it was on my birthday, actually, 2029, 2019, on my birthday, um, I went out to dinner and on my way back, I just heard lost and found. And when I said it to the person I was with him and he said, it sounds so procedural. And I said, that's the intent because I feel like I had so much to share. And I also felt like there were so many other people that were going through similar uh, instances and similar circumstances that I was going through because I, was, I attended a lot of seminars. I started collaborating with a lot of people. And I realized that there was a lot of people that had this sense of lost or this sense of not knowing what to do or where to go or where to pick up after they've, they've fallen off. So I felt that there was an audience waiting for me, that there's people waiting for me to help them. There's people waiting to hear this story, hear this information and know that they're not, they're not alone. They're not the only ones who are going through this sense of loss or this you know, sense of transformation going from point A to point B. So that I was the, that. True, yeah. the true motivation for that. Wow. I love that. I love that because I think, you know, that um, when change happens to us, it's usually our, like our first reaction is not the change itself, but the loss we feel of what we are, what we were uh, comfortable with. Right. So, and, and that's been, that's been spoken about quite a lot recently uh, in change management. Mm -hmm. While I'm thinking that, like a, a real obvious segue for me in the questioning for, of you is, I don't even know that you've done this, but I'm just wondering, have you taken the findings and the, the voice that you heard in the book into your day-to-day -day work with people's change initiatives. Have you done that in any way, shape or form? In, in some sense. Um, and I think my work has contributed to, to writing the book in the sense of being lost. Like there's a chapter in the book that talks about being black in, in, in the workplace that was a sense of me finding myself because I was lost from the perspective that I didn't have a voice in the boardroom in terms of speaking up for myself, um, saying no to certain ridiculousness, saying, um, sticking to my, to my, to my, my perspective or my point. Like I was a little bit lost in the sense that I didn't have that, that no, 
I didn't know who I was in the workplace. So I feel like the book, a part of the book is a manifestation of what I was already living. And then writing that chapter allows me to keep true to what I found, right? Finding my voice, standing up for myself, not worrying too much about the money. Because one of the things that I was lost with was always worrying about, oh my God, I have to dance to the beat of these of my client's tune because I need the money. I need this contract. And I had to find myself and find my worth enough to say, look, my worth is worth more than this. And I'm not going to sacrifice my values or my beliefs because of money. So I had to find myself in that space by finding my worth and going back to my true values and my true worth. And I'll tell you something. There is a part there that I wrote that I saw that you quoted that says, this book will help you find things that you didn't even know that you lost. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I wanted to be a lawyer for the longest time. I think I told you a bit about this and I promised I would give you a story about that. And for the first time in my life, uh, towards the end of 2020, I have clear confirmation that I am, I am a lawyer to the point that I started school this year to go for my bachelor's in psychology so I can start the process of going to law school because I found myself. I wanted to be a lawyer and for some reason I got lost. That dream got lost, that desire, that passion got lost. And when I attempted to do that over the years, I was stopped by either money or time or just desire. And for the first time in my life, none of that matters. Like absolutely none of that matters. Like to the point where I'm supposed to start, I started the course in January and my girlfriend said, man, your mom passed away with all of this going on. Are you still going to continue with the course? And I said, yes, I'm doing it because I found myself. I found my me, right? <laughs> and I didn't realize that it was lost. I just thought it was just one of those things that, okay, I wanted to be a lawyer, but it wouldn't go away until the day I made up my mind and I'm getting up to show you the sticky, the day that I found it, I wrote down the sticky that says, be a lawyer. And I stuck it up on my goal board here, my vision board here. And I'm on my way. <laughs> I love it. I love it. There's so yeah. much, there's so much, um, there's so much to unpack there. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think that, um, I think that your work, even right now, even, you know, your change management work, I find that clients are often struggling with like who they are. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's part of the reason they want to be advanced of where they are. They want to beat their competition. They want to be better than their competition. They want to be bigger. And I'm not a big fan of thinking like that, right? As it, because I think that if you're so focused on your competition's size and scale and, 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 and revenues that you're, you're weakening your own position, right? And, exactly. and, and you have actually 
demonstrated that, you know, yourself in that, in that last comment about, you know, money and position and all like you shouldn't, I, I always try to talk my clients to step back a little bit mm-hmm. into like, you know, what's your real vision? What's your real mission and your real person? Mm-hmm. Irrespective of what's going on in the, in the world, like the playing field is so level. How do you apply that thinking? Like uh, when you, you know, you're in, you're in a meeting and you're, you're in a change kickoff or your or maybe a discovery session. How do you apply the experience that you've spoken of in the book to the people that you're with? What kind of things you take them through what kind of things do you go through mm-hmm. so for me the first thing that I do is I I, I I remains true to myself and true to my uh, to, to my core because it's it's easy for people or it's easy for a person to change their course because someone doesn't like what they have to say or someone doesn't like what they do so I, I remain true to myself because because Johnny doesn't buy it doesn't mean that Sally's not going to buy it. It may just didn't work for, for, for Johnny. So what I do throughout any kind of meetings that I'm having or any kind of sessions um, is help them to self-discover. Help them to self-discover. And uh, sometimes it could be as, it, sometimes it's not easy because not everyone can appreciate the truth or appreciate a level of honesty that you're giving them. But I've found a way to pose a question to my audience to get them to self-discover. For example, one of the famous uh, things that I hear is, oh, these people are just not getting it. Um, I don't know why they're not changing. I don't know why they're resisting. And my question would be, what have you done to prevent them from resisting? What have you done to ensure that they actually know what the benefits of the changes are, know the reasons why you're changing. What have you done? And then that gets them to pause and think and say, hmm, well, I think I did a blog last year. How do you know that Sally read the blog? How do you know that Sally understood the blog? Or they'd say, well, we did send out a presentation or we had a 10 minutes at a town hall. Well, the town hall wasn't specific towards Sally's needs. There were 10 other presenters at the town hall. I'm sure by the time you were done, Sally does not remember anything that you said. So getting them to self-discover and realize that there are things that they can do within themselves to allow for the audience to receive the information that they're looking to receive. And going back to, to honesty, right? For example, one of the change uh, that I went through with one of the clients, they were changing um, roles, for example. Normally, when you're doing a transformation, the writing is on the wall there are going to be job loss because you're transforming, you're moving, you're changing, right? So my thing, my, my comment to them is to always say, are there going to be job loss? Are they, are roles going to change? Are people's lives going to change? When Mary, when you hit that switch and go from old state to new state, when Sally shows up at work, what is going to be different for Sally? You need to tell them because if you don't tell them, they're going to create their own story or they're going to hear it from someone else. 
and how they hear it from someone else and what they hear from someone else is not going to be how you would have wanted it to stay. So it doesn't give you the opportunity to manage the communication and manage the message the way how you want them to hear it, right? So going back to your question, how do I do that? I stay true to myself and allow people to self-discover and get them to, to be honest, even if it may seem like you don't want to hurt Sally. I think Sally would appreciate it more, especially in the middle of a pandemic. I think Sally would appreciate it more if you said to her, Sally, we're changing the way how we work and there likely will be some job loss. I don't know if it's going to affect you directly, but there might be some job loss. I think Sally would feel better knowing that, hey, my boss was honest with me and maybe Sally will start looking for opportunities elsewhere instead of being hit with this, sorry, we no longer need you. And then she has to go and go scramble for a job. Yeah. One of the things that I've experienced in digital transformations uh, that I've been, you know, that I've been um, uh, involved in is that very often you can automate some aspects of a person's job and actually free them up to do more valuable things to the or in the organization. And to me, that's always been the goal. Like, like every time that I've been involved in change, I, I always make sure, like, have you looked at all options for this person? Mm. I mean, exactly. the, you know, there's, there's some valuable things in this person's makeup and this skill set. And if we just automate, say, some of this workflow that, that, you know, that is obviously going to now be taken up, taken up by a computerized system, that may... Uh, allow this person now to be more interfacing with the clients and, you know, and really solidifying the connection between company and client. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I totally agree. And that's, that's part of the unleashing of your inner power, right? Because when you are able to find other opportunities and focus on the benefits, focus on what you have to gain as opposed to what you're losing, the glass half full as opposed to the glass half empty. That's what allows you to unleash your inner power because once you automate part of Sally's job, Sally's now free to do other work. She's now free to think a little bit more. She's now free to build relationships with other people. She's now free to collaborate. So now you're unleashing this power that you had in you but didn't even know that you have it because of the fact that a, you were not honest, and B, you did not explore what other opportunities you may have. Yeah, exactly. Now, you this is your first book, but I, I keep hearing you talk. It's it's <laughs> it's the first of many. It sounds like it's the first of many. Is is that a goal of yours? It is an absolute goal. It's the first of many books. Um, I'm looking at my book list. Uh, right now because I had this thought of having lost and found as uh, sort of like chicken soup for the soul. So like a series. So because you can be lost and found in so many other areas, right? So for example, second book that I wanted to write is uh, Lost and Found, The Black People's Story, which is basically telling Black history from Black people's perspective and talking about some of the things that we've lost you know, throughout history and some of the things that we're finding and we're about to find. Um, the other book that I actually have the cover for is called Blue Butterfly, which is 10 Powerful Lessons Learned from the Island of Change Management. So that was one of the 
yeah, the book and then Lost and Found, Ideal Weight. So a book that focuses on weight management, weight loss, better eating, better health and so forth. So there are many books <laughs> waiting to be published. That's very good. That's very good. Wow. It, you know, it, it's, it's uncommon to find uh, somebody who's as planned out as, as, as you are actually right now. Because mm-hmm. first of all, I've bumped, I have actually spoken with quite a number of authors and worked with quite a number of authors. And most of them have said, oh, this took me three years to write. This took me five years to build and write. Like, like I know that you, the ideas and the experience of yours are like over the years, but I can't believe the amount of time, like the, how little amount of time you wrote it in. You must have been highly motivated. I was highly, highly motivated for a lot of reasons. And I think when I got to, when I got, when I realized that it's possible (laughs) to publish the book, I got even extra motivated. And one of the other motivating factors was I started telling people about my book. I started telling people about the book. I actually had a speaking engagement on the book before I even wrote 20% of the book. And so as a result of that speaking engagement, I started getting questions from a few of the folks from that engagement asking me, when is the book coming? So that motivated me more because I felt like the people that I knew that I was writing the book for, there was an audience for it. Even if it was only five, six people, I knew that there were people who saw something, who gravitated to the concept of the book and were actually waiting to read this book. So I was really motivated by that. And I was motivated from a personal um, accomplishment because again, I've always thought about writing a book. I I started writing books and I I never got published. So it became, you know, inspirational for me to inspire myself to, to publish so I can have this book in my hand to, you know, at the very least say, Janet, you did it. And if you did it, you can do it again, right? You wrote one book, you can write two, you can write three books. So it became a motivational stick for me. Wow. wow. I, I think that's fantastic. Um, you've like, for somebody who uh, thought you'd lost yourself, <laughs> I think you found yourself really fast, you know? <laughs> it, that's it, a very good point. I think... I found myself fast and still finding pieces about myself. I've found so much about myself. I think this, the title was so metaphoric that it literally manifested in my life that I started finding all these things that I didn't even know that I lost. Like that quote was literally true because even before the book published, I started finding all these things that I didn't know that I was, that I lost. And I think, the reason why I was able to find myself so quickly so I could take charge of my life is I really felt like I was at, uh, I was the end of the road. I was at the end of the road. I was at the end of the road, especially when it came to work, because I realized that I was attracting the same type of clients, the same type of people in my personal life. So process of elimination, I said, Hey, girlfriend, this energy must be on you. <laughs> They always say that if you really look at everything that's happening to you, you are the common denominator. Right. So I said, <laughs> I am the common denominator. I may not purposely be 
you know, doing this directly, but I must be sending off some sort of energy. There must be something that I'm doing to attract these, you know, you know, people that starts with a C and ends with a Y. So <laughs> I had to, <laughs> I had to take some ownership, take some accountability and literally look in the mirror and say, look here, girlfriend, what's going on here. And that's what the moment I made up my mind to look at self point finger to self be accountable and acknowledge that you are the only common denominator that opened up the portal for me to say, okay, all right, you've got this. Wow. Mm -hmm. It, it's almost spiritual. Like I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm listening to you. Uh, you could easily be a minister, you know, um, you've shown your vulnerability, which is really, really attractive in a way, because I think there's people in the audience who feel probably a lot like you felt before you're coming out, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, and what do you have to say? What, what can you share with the audience about people who are kind of on the precipice of doing something, but they, they feel that nobody's going to be interested? Because I, I see that a lot out there. What kind of advice would you give somebody? My advice for that person would be to first be interested in you. Be the first one to be interested in you. And once you're interested in you, it removes that spiritual or invisible blockage that would prevent anyone else from being interested in you because no one can like or love you if you don't love or like yourself. They'll just pretend. And at the back of the book, um, I wrote uh, one of my favorite part of the book that was really revelatory to me, which is finding the you in you, finding the you in the Y-O-U. And the you is really the core the you is the most important part of, of, of your life in terms of the people that are in your life because the you is the one that carries your thought, your vision, your dreams, your plan, your desires. So if you don't like you or believe in you or trust you, then the you, the Y and the O, no one else will be able to do that because they're going to attract or you're going to attract whatever energy is being sent off, right? So it's it's owning into it's honing into that you, liking that you, finding that you, and not worrying too much about what others are going to say. That was one of the things that I had to overcome because you're right. There were some parts of the book where I was totally, you know, vulnerable and just naked, and I I, I got to the point where. Um, I don't know if you know of the Bible scripture of uh, um, Queen Esther, the story of Queen Esther. She was a, a Jewish lady who was chosen um, by God to save her people. And so she fasted on behalf of her nation to make sure that they didn't get killed. Like the, the, there was some racism going on there now that I realize it. And the Jewish people were about to be killed off. And so she prayed and fasted for them. And her name is Esther, which is also my name. I adopted that name. And I remember there was one line that she said that really stuck to me and made me continue to write the book. Uh, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but someone said to her, what happens if you make this move and the king uh, doesn't approve or the king 
puts you in jail. And she says, if I perish, I perish, but I must do this. And that's kind of the persona that I took on is that I have a story to tell. I feel like I have found peace within myself. I have, I have found my worth. I'm owning my worth and I'm going to live my worth. So if I tell this story and it doesn't gravitate or if something goes wrong, then it's a risk that I'm willing to take. And if I perish, I perish. And that was the, that was the attitude that I took. Well, that's brilliant. You know, because it, 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 you like measured out your risk level, right? I mean, you know, and your threshold for pain and your threshold for failure. I mean, we talk about that in modern day times, Mm -hmm. uh, almost, almost daily. It's like, if you don't put in the work, you don't expect the results. And if you don't try something, don't expect anything to happen, right? Exactly, exactly. And I use that same concept at work. For example, we're going through some sessions right now, sort of like a lunch and learn information session. And I know there's a bit of a hesitant from the leadership in terms of, well, what if the people don't like this? Or what if what if they don't like the information they give us? Or what if they push back? And my my direction to them is, just do it. The only way you're going to know if your audience likes what you're giving them is if you deliver it to them with kindness and love and honesty and let them come and give you the opportunity for you to revise. If they tell you something that doesn't work and you're getting that feedback, then it's an opportunity for you to pivot. It's an opportunity for you to revise and tailor and make sure that you're taking in the feedback that you're getting and making it better as much as you can. But being afraid of going out there because of being afraid of telling your story because of what people are going to say or think is, is like the greatest injustice you can do to yourself because there's at least one person out there who is going to be blessed or transformed by your story. The other thing that also motivated me is that it sounds weird, but I didn't write the book to make money. I didn't write the book to sell a lot of money so I can retire. I don't even know how many copies I've sold thus far. I don't, because that wasn't the purpose. When I get a feedback from someone who's read the book or someone who's ordered the book, it makes me feel great in the sense that, yes, I've reached an audience. Someone is benefiting from my experience. Someone is benefiting from my my instructions or my recommendations, right? So that makes me feel like my mission has been accomplished. It's not a monetary gain that I'm looking for. It's just to make sure that the message in the book lands with the people who read the book. And if it's, if it's only one sentence in the book that can transform somebody's life, I'm happy. I always look at things like this in kind of incremental points, like of value. I think you, sometimes you start and you read a book and something hits you and you're like focused on that maybe. And even if you read a few more chapters, you're, you're, you know, maybe it isn't as important as, as the first thing that hit you. Maybe the, maybe the first thing that hit you is the only thing that was important about that book, right? Exactly. Um, and then maybe re- read it again and, and, and find maybe something read it else, again. right? You know? And different people have different purpose because I brought the book to Jamaica uh, when I went there in February. And so I gave a copy to an, a, a friend of mine. And so <laughs> he read the book. And when he was halfway through the book, he said, 
I'm going through this book too fast. I have to stop. I don't want to finish it too fast. And so he finished the book and he said his uh, feedback to me was that this book um, is, is a very good, I'm paraphrasing, but it's a good handbook for people living in the, in the diaspora, Black people living in the diaspora. I didn't even look at it from that perspective. But here is someone reading it, living in Jamaica and giving me that comment and that feedback saying that this book is, is good for you know, people living in the diaspora because it's a good handbook. So, you know, and that to me was, wow. I've accomplished and even reached an audience that I didn't even fathom uh, that I was going to reach. But you see, that's, that's, that's the beauty of, that's the beauty of putting yourself out there like this. Um, I always say that, you know, if you just do it for one person, you'll be, you know, that one person is the person that it's going to, you know, you're going to change their life. You're going to light up something in their life. You're going to get them thinking on a different tangent. They're going to, they're going to sort something out for themselves. Maybe you might not always, they might not always reach out back to you and say, thank you, Janet. You know, they, but they may, you know, there's this passive audience sometimes that moves along. Exactly. And, and you know, they're there. You know, you know, they're there because I've read books that I've never reached out to the author. And those books changed my life. Those books have transformed me in some way, right? His direct comment was, this is a fantastic handbook for people living amongst first world people. Wow. That was his, um, his uh, testimonial. <laughs> I, 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 I liked the part where he said, oh, I don't like, this is going too fast. I yes, don't want to finish says, it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm eating it too fast, he said. <laughs> <laughs> it's... But I think that that's sometimes what we're, what's wrong with us, right? I think we're, we're, we're so hungry for something that we gobble it up, right? Without even like savoring the flavor. Right. He says, he says, I was eating too fast. I am slowing down to make it last longer tomorrow even. (laughs) Then he says, stay by the river. Wow. You know, that it sounds to me like this, this gentleman is actually going to, read this book a number of times because he called it a handbook mm-hmm. and the real, the real value in a handbook is that's that reference material that you keep going back to and keep right. going back to just to, to bounce it off something that you're thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Wow. I love the way that Janet exposes her own vulnerability as she speaks about the book, as well as how she uses the lessons learned within her book for her full-time career as an experienced change management leader. You can get a copy of this book on Amazon. And if you feel like connecting with her, you can find her on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.